there are these two young fish swimming along and they happen to meet an older fish swimming the other way who nods at them and says, morning boys, how's the water? And the two young fish swim on for a bit and then eventually one of them looks over at the other and goes, what the hell is water? Don Hall, and this is the Peculiar Journeys Podcast. Peculiar Journeys is a weekly storytelling podcast designed to see the water that surrounds us. to season four of Peculiar Journeys, Millennium Park Stories. Now let's set some things up before we actually get into the stories and into the season. As you know, I left WBEZ about two years ago, and in fact, March 3rd, two years ago, and uh, so about a year and a half, I guess. Um, I went freelance, went solo, solo ride, and I decided that uh, I would be an events consultant, and then I would do, and I ended up doing a lot of things in the in the last year. I, I actually did do some events production all over the country for Audible. Um, I've done a lot of consulting with smaller businesses and individuals. I've taught some classes on production and storytelling. Um, I've done some extra work, you know, because like for Chicago Med, PD, and Fire, which is it pays and it's fun and they feed you. I did substitute teach. I got back into substitute teaching and realized very quickly, and I, and I apologize to my wife, but I'd rather dig ditches than fucking substitute in this day and age. Uh, it, the, 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 I, there's a lot I could probably blame for it. I'm older, lost patience for it, whatever. But I will also say fucking smartphones are the worst possible thing that, that high school students could ever have. Um, it's just the worst thing in terms of school. It just that's that's been my experience, and the fact that you can't take away their smartphones, it's 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 insanity. So I did I, I did not enjoy uh, my decades later stab at uh, substitute teaching, and I won't be doing that again. Um, I decided that I'd rather do almost anything rather than do that. So jump cut to last uh, March, um, the Grant Park Music Festival. Um, they are an 84-year-old festival, obviously started in Grant Park in Chicago, committed to summers filled with free concerts for anybody that wants to hear them, orchestra concerts, orchestra and choir, um, some great music. Um, and if you're not into orchestra music, then you might try it once in a while just to see what it's like because it's actually pretty neat. Um, but the Grant Park Music Festival started when they opened Millennium Park. They moved over to the J. Pritzker Pavilion. Um, in fact, the sound system was designed with the Grant Park Music Festival in mind. And as the park, and if you're familiar with Millennium Park, you have, you know, you've got the Cloud Gate, which some people call the Bean. Um, that sculpture, very, very popular. Um, you have several pavilions. You have Michigan Avenue, and it comes in, this kind of thing. And then the main sort of like, then you've got the Maggie Daly Park, which they just built. But then the main thing is the Jay Pritzker Pavilion and the Great Lawn. Um, all told, and, and here's a little factoid, those red seats, it doesn't look like it because it's just so big, but th that holds 4,000 people. There are 4,000 seats. Then you have this giant amphitheater stage with one of the most technically technologically advanced sound systems 
for any outdoor venue on the planet. And then you have the great lawn. All told, when you have it standing room only and you're just packed on that lawn, you can get about 20,000 people in there. And uh, what Grant Park Music Festival, you know, they, they need for their concerts, they needed a front of house manager and ushering staff. Um, and they've had that for about nine years now. And uh, DCASE, the Department of Cultural Affairs and Special Events, headed by Mark Kelly, they have started in the last couple of years really expanding the utilization of the J. Pritzker Pavilion. And they've got now, now they have the House Music Fest, the Gospel Fest, Blues Fest, Jazz Fest, Mariachi Fest. It just goes on and on and on. It's a whole summer full of movies in the park and the Millennium Park music series where you've got lots of bands coming in, multiple bands playing. Pretty much you name it, they've got a use for it. And it goes on all summer long. Well, in March... The folks at Grand Park Music Festival contacted me and asked me if I was still freelance. And I said, yes, I was. And asked me what I was doing this summer. And I said, I didn't know. I was, you know, obviously pursuing gigs and that kind of thing. But what do they have in mind? They offered me a summer contract. They wanted to know if I'd be interested in being the front of house manager of Millennium Park, which is kind of kick-ass. It's a big deal. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's a huge amount of work, but it's also kind of a really cool thing to do you know, as sort of like a, a an avatar of being in Chicago, right? And so I, I went and interviewed with those guys, and they, they took a look at me, and they uh, obviously they asked me to come in, so I already had a leg up. But they ultimately decided to hire me as the front of house manager for the entire park for the entire summer. My first... Uh, sort of tasks were to kind of go through the procedures that they already had in place, that they'd already put in place for years, go through them and do what I do, which is do the best I can to find out what works, what doesn't work, what can be improved, and then make those suggestions and try to make those improvements. They gave me, I have to give them a lot of credit. They give me a lot of autonomy. Now, the way it works is the Grant Park Music Festival hires the front of house manager. The front of house manager hires the ushers. And then the D case, the city people, the city programs, Blues Fest, Jazz Fest, etc., they um, pay Grant Park Music Festival to utilize the front of house staff. That's how it works. So really, it's, I'm, I'm you know, this summer I've been the servant of two masters, um, but I got ultimately got paid um, by both organizations, but I worked in the office at the Grant Park Music Festival. So that's something to know. Uh, initially, I hired 50 ushers, um, and it was through a, you know, just the, the, I think it was mostly through Indeed. And, uh, you know, I called people, I weeded out people that I thought based on their, uh, either their resume or their cover letter, that they, they weren't anybody that I could use. What I was looking for were people that were autonomous, the people that could make decisions on their own. Um, they had just instituted, this summer was brand new, that they had, for the first time ever, security checkpoints and a full security. They had the Millennium Park security that I had to work with. They also had Titan Security, which is a security firm they hired to come in to do. So I had to work with them. Plus, they brought in uh, additional off-duty uh, police officers from the Chicago Pub, uh, Police Department that I had to work with on a regular basis. Um, and this was all new. All of this was brand new, so nobody knew how it was going to work. So one of the things that I was really looking forward to in, in terms of hiring people were people that could work with security, that had either worked security in other places or could kind of figure that out. I had about half my ushers were returning ushers, and so I didn't know what that was all about. I didn't know what I was getting into. But 
that was the beginning. It started with 50. Um, I ended up with 43. I fired, I actually fired seven of them just either not making themselves available, showing up consistently late, being scheduled for a shift and just not showing up, and effectively just not doing their job. Um, it wasn't like, ah, you're fired. It's not like Donald Trump. That's not my style. Um, I gave everybody uh, multiple chances, and after a certain point, I realized, yeah, this isn't going to work, and that's kind of how I did it. Um, but the ushers that I kept, the, the, the 43 that stayed on, were excellent, pretty much across the board, really good, uh, solid people. Um, and it's one of those things that you don't think about very often when you're out in the park, but those people are making minimum wage. And what does it take? First of all, what kind of person goes for a minimum wage job ushering in the largest concert venue and park in the city of Chicago and do a good job for that minimum wage? What, what do you have to do? What, what, who are those people? And so hopefully this season you'll get a sense of some of those people because I've interviewed some of them while in the park. Um, so with that in mind, I want to start this season out with a piece that I wrote. Um, August 17th was when it was published, um, and it was all based on my experiences in the park up to that point. Now, I will let you know that June, I had like three nights off. July, I had like five nights off. August, I had a little bit more, and then September was uh, sort of the wind down. So I really worked my ass off, and you will hear hopefully in this season plenty of stories about how hard the job was and, and, and what what entails being a front of house manager in a gigantic venue that will hold 20,000 people in a, in a shot. Um, but I wanted to uh, read this piece just because I wrote it and I liked it and it's got a little bit of a flavor. Um, I will warn you, it's a little political as many of the things that I do are political. So uh, I wrote this for literateape.com. You can find it if you go to literateape.com and look up all the world's a stage. Um, so I'm gonna read that and uh, then we'll get back to uh, business, yeah? All the world's a stage and identity is just another costume. In a crowd of 17,000, all crammed into the front of the J. Pritzker Pavilion in Millennium Park, I see a stew of humanity, the avatar of the melting pot idea in play. There's Mitchell, a 56-year-old black veteran, Marines, who would also classify as homeless as he carries two large bags with him, sleeps on the sidewalk on most nights, and comes to almost every concert all summer long. He isn't homeless. If you take the time to hang with him and engage, he will explain that he has a nice apartment on the far side, south side of Chicago uh, that the VA set up for him, but that he loves people so much that he spends most of his time downtown, dancing in the, on the streets, and he does dance a lot, talking to strangers, dealing with the intolerance of others, and otherwise swimming in this particular sociological soup. There's Bob, a retired music teacher in his 70s who, with his wife, comes to at least five park events per week. His leg is really bothering him, and he can, comes across as kind of a pretty angry guy most of the time. My first encounter with Bob began with him looking to complain that my ushers were, and I quote, reading newspapers and books and chatting rather than doing their job, unquote. It turned out that what they did is they made him walk around the ramp to get to a seat and his leg hurt and he felt put upon so he manufactured a complaint. A thing that I noticed in the park this summer is that there are many older people that don't distinguish the difference between disabled and old. 
and trust me on this one, I know we're manufacturing it because my ushers were not reading a newspaper in 2018, just went happening. And one of my customer service techniques is to first assess if I can solve the problem. And if the problem is just that the patron wants to complain, I immediately switch gears and become stupid, uh, asking obvious but unimportant questions until I just fucking wear them out. Waste my time all you want, I'm paid by the hour sort of thing. For Bob, it worked. Didn't work for everybody. And the next time I saw him, he was thrilled to see me, and then we talked every single time he came to the park. He's led a pretty fascinating life, and I actually like him immensely. Sarah is a 23-year-old Hindu woman with an office job in the loop. She heads over to the park at least once a week after work to hang out and see what's going on. Weeks ago, she came up to me to thank me for how I conduct myself. According to her, I'm always talking to patrons with a grin, good-natured, highly energetic, and since then, whenever she sees me, she comes over and we chat about her day, her concerns about Trump, her concerns about identity politics, and her parents who would prefer that she come back home to India. The intersection of every type of human in the park is incredible. Name an identity from the most common to the smallest segment of current society. White, cisgender, heterosexual male to transgender, bisexual, black woman. And they will be somewhere in this giant walk on the east side of Chicago on any given night. Now, as I've grown older and suffered the standard set of betrayals by friends and the sudden absences of importance from colleagues once I've moved on, known as the out-of-sight, out-of-mind syndrome, I've become far less social than I used to be. I don't hang out much. I rarely go to parties, perhaps being in a position to be of service to thousands of people each night limits my desire for humanity. Hmm? My summer job, however, requires a certain amount of social grace. I have to talk and listen to these people in order to do my job. As with any substantive interaction with the water within which we swim, there are notable lessons to learn. A bit removed from the personal narrative storytelling form where people get up on stage and narrate bits of their life, the simple conversations with strangers gathered together in a huge performance space, a place where Chicago natives and tourists gather, where every language under the sun is being spoken simultaneously, all age groups represented from walkers to canes and skateboards, these stories are just somehow more powerful. Now, I recently binge watched the Kachowski's Since Eight on Netflix. I highly recommend it. Initially turned off by the first episode, now I don't fucking know why. I revisited that first episode not long ago and I beat myself in the face for not getting sucked in immediately. The series is brilliant, beautiful, and I believe should be required viewing for anyone not living in an urban setting all across the world. The title of the 10th episode of the second season, written by Lana Wachowski and J. Michael Straczynski, is All the World's a Stage and Identity is Just Another Costume. In the age of identity politics, this is a strangely radioactive perspective. To even suggest that the identities of race, gender, religion, sexual preference, ad nauseum, or anything short of the most essential part of us is heresy to both the extreme left and the alt-right. Yes, as I walk through Millennium Park, and both observe and engage this multicultural tapas bar of sapiens, this idea keeps gently nudging me like Jiminy Cricket or a radio signal being picked up by a tooth filling. Identity is just another costume.
at our base, you know, DNA, molecular structure, we are really all exactly the same creature. And we all basically want the same things. We suffer in similar ways. We find joy in similar things and are all of us angered by injustice, dishonesty, theft, unnecessarily and under unnecessary violence, you know, however you want to interpret that. We all got to eat. We all need water to survive. We all need sleep. The simple biology of humanity is the same with no regard for the costumes we dress it up in. If we ignore the obvious similarities in who and what we are, and instead focus on the differences in culture, in lifestyle, in tone, the enemy becomes apparent. And with identity in the fore, the question shifts from what, we, what can we do about racism and sexism to who can we blame for racism and sexism? The wars on racism and sexism have become more theatrical than concrete, more signaling than solving, more reactive than active. In the park, there is only one we. The collective patronage of the thousands of multicultural homo, homo sapiens gathered to hear an orchestra or a jazz ensemble or the blues or a rock band, it is a larger and more lovely we and therefore a stronger foundation from which to find solutions to the seemingly insurmountable obstacles to society. Michael is a 25-year-old violinist and skater. He comes to the orchestra concerts, he's been every Wednesday and Friday all night long, all summer long, and sits at the front of the lawn. He's usually high and when we talk, he talks about Trump and books. He recommended The Inner Civil War by George Fredrickson. I recommended Steven Pinker's Enlightenment Now. Alice is a 30-something Chinese woman recently immigrated from her birth country to Chicago. Her English is spotty, but when she awkwardly asked once where the bathrooms were, and I told her, because it's my job, she decided that I was now the answer man in the park. Whenever she finds me, she has questions about Chicago, about neighborhoods, about the concert that night, about the best singles apps. Myra, 78-year-old black woman, born and raised on the South Side, is usually a bit drunk, and she flirts with me. She's more conservative than the Generation Z black kids and doesn't quite understand why they're so angry. My time, she intones through sips of 312 beer, my time was a lot harder than theirs, and I'm not so loud about it. In the same way that I reject the simplistic morality behind the war on drugs and the war on terror, I likewise turn away from the war on racism and the war on sexism. These wars are designed to be perpetual and never-ending. They are created to replicate the mirror image of current power imbalances rather than reset the default. They are about vengeance rather than exculpation. Now, none of this is to say that racism and sexism do not exist. That's stupid. It is to say, however, that they are not monsters to be defeated, but problems to be solved. They are not mythologies or sins that require fire and prayer to eradicate, but societal obstacles to be overcome. The solutions, I believe, lie in our ability to coexist in a giant park and release our grip on the insistence of culture, skin tone, accents, all 
the outward showing indicators. All the world is a stage and identity is just another costume. Recognize the costumes, celebrate them if you want. See the humanity underneath and proceed with kindness and pragmatism. Anything less is false piety and dogmatism. That was one of the things, one of many things that has occurred to me being in Millennium Park for the better part of five months. About, you know, about two weeks was, uh, it was a six-month contract. About two weeks was just in the office and two weeks in the office at the end. But most of my time was spent on my feet, walking around the park, miles walked. Sometimes I think my record... And here's a quick story. Uh, my record of walking in the park, and not all, apparently I found this out, is that not all house managers do the walk. Um, I do. My perspective was that my job was, well, I had radios. The radios were kind of shitty, but we all had radios. But I saw my job as getting everybody in place in their positions, making sure they had everything they needed, and then just walking around the park looking for problems to solve looking for people that needed help, checking in on my ushers and making sure they were doing everything, that they had the water they needed, that they had the equipment that they needed, that they were able to do their job with what I provided, just checking in. And in that regard, I walked all the time. I mean, constantly. And here's a quick anecdote. Um, at the end of the second night of Blues Fest, and Blues Fest is an all-day, I mean, once you get to the weekend, it's an all-day thing. I got to the park at seven o'clock in the morning and I didn't leave the park until like 11, 11.30 at night. And I was on my feet for most of the time, walking the park. And at one point, there were a bunch of the D-Case uh, employees and, and some of the people with the park facilities and, and Aaron holds up her phone. She goes, God, I feel like I've walked all day. And she holds up her phone. She goes, I walked 12,000 steps. And Anne says, well, you got me beat. I walked 11,000. And then Micah says, well, yeah, no, I got, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm about there. So I, well, I've walked about 10,000 today. And I didn't say anything. I just held up my phone because I've got an iPhone and it keeps track of that stuff. And I had walked 38,000 steps that day. And they all just went, what the fuck? And I said, yeah, this, this is what I do. So I will tell you that at the end of almost every night of the park, I, I came home and died. I was exhausted. I would get a glass of rye, boom, I was out. Um, every morning my feet hurt. Uh, my back would hurt from walking so much. I had multiple pairs of cl like clothing because it was hot as ass often in the park. Um, and hopefully this season will be something that I can give you a little sense of A, what a front of house manager does and B, what I did and how much fun it was and how much work it was and it was a great experience. So that is what I hope you are looking forward to when it comes to uh, Peculiar Journeys Season 4 Millennium Park Stories. Let me close with this. If you enjoy Peculiar Journeys, if you enjoy the work that I do, if you enjoy other podcasts that I that I uh, that I participate in, any of the writing, if you like this podcast, do me a favor, and it, you know, and if you don't, that's fine too. But if you do, take a minute and share it on your blog, share it on your social media, Facebook or Twitter or Snapchat. Just share it. The thing about it is, the reason I don't do this just in stages 
on stages, and I'm doing this podcast, is that with the podcast, I have the ability to reach a larger audience. But the only way I reach that larger audience is if the audience that listens anyway can recommend it to other people. That's kind of the model. Um, go on Apple Podcasts if you're a subscriber. If you're not a subscriber, subscribe. I mean, it doesn't hurt anybody. If you're already if you already listen to podcasts, you subscribe. You can subscribe it on that. You can reach us on, on Outcasts and Stitcher, but subscribe to it. Go on Apple Podcasts and review it. The more it gets reviewed, the more it goes up and the higher in their algorithms, and then more people get to listen to it just because they can find it. And that's kind of how it works. And then one other thing: if you are a Patreon subscriber, thank you. I really can't thank you enough. Um, it really is kind of strangely val. I mean, in addition to you know having money that pays for things, um, there's a real validation to see that there are people out there that enjoy um, the stuff that I'm creating enough to say, you know, it's worth a dollar or two a month. And I rated, I mean, that's way better than Facebook likes because you can't buy shit with Facebook likes. Um, but if you are not a Patreon subscriber and you happen to have, you really enjoy Peculiar Journeys, you're a subscriber, you really dig it, um, and you dig it enough to be able to throw a few dollars at it to help me continue the process of putting together the podcast, go to patreon.com slash Peculiar Journeys and join that club. Um, there are going to be some, I mean, it's one of the things that I'm going to try to do is there going to be some exclusive videos, some more exclusive audio that's been going on, and some some fun stuff. So I'm, I'm really planning on this year to really kind of up that game. And I hope if you're into that game that you would contribute, become a Patreon VIP member, and give me a couple of bucks and uh, enjoy some of that. So with that in mind, thank you for listening to episode 46 uh, of Peculiar Journeys, season four opener. Um, we're going to have a lot of great stories and some ushers that have some things to say, and hopefully you'll get a nice round perspective of Millennium Park. Thanks for listening. Peculiar Journeys is a weekly storytelling podcast produced, voiced, and edited by myself in my apartment above a bar in Wicker Park, Chicago. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or catch it on SoundCloud, or download it from DonHallChicago.com. You can assist Peculiar Journeys financially, if you can, by becoming a VIP patron on www.patreon.com slash Peculiar Journeys.